Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Shitty Christians. I'm your host, Zachary Allard. And I'm Michael Tabor. And this week, we are once again joined by many, many time recurring guests, essentially the third host of our podcast, Kelsey Frickin' Lair. Kelsey, welcome back for the second week running. Hey, thanks for having me. Michael, what are we talking about this week? Well, you know, last week was a very Dudes Rock episode. Or last, <laughs> last time we were here, we were covering Wild at Heart, uh, delving deep into biblical masculinity and how Jesus really wants you to, you know, just cleave flesh with a broadsword. Um, but, you know, <laughs> Shitty Christians isn't just here for the boys. We're, we, got, we got a little something for the ladies, too. Uh, so we are back to cover the follow-up smash hit to Wild at Heart. I am, of course, talking about Captivated. That's right. Uh, Captivated. Wild at Heart. It's Captivating. Oh, man. I did that like it's 18 a ger- times it's a last episode. I love that I read this entire book and still didn't remember the title. <laughs> Captivating. Uh, the smash follow-up hit about uh, how to seduce your man but for Jesus and also maybe God is your lover. Yeah. I, I think that was I think that pretty much the take. I think away. that was the uh, the subtitle on the jacket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I think it was just like down with gilfs, gods. I'd like to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gross. gross, Michael. It's the most actively sexual part of the book. But don't worry, dear listener, we'll get into it. Uh, there's um, also the is awkward. There anything we need to cover before we get into this? This is formatted very similarly to Wild at Heart. A lot of the argumentation in it is either drawing from the exact same sources or is just formatted very similarly. Like, men have three desires that they every man wants. Guess what women have? Also three desires. <laughs> I, uh, it was, it's written by Stacy, uh, as we as we called her last week, Stasi. But now I have a lot more. I, I, I have trouble calling her Stasi because they were, her story is complicated. And then John comes back in at times being like, hi, I'm John. And I have some insane ideas about the female form. And so I think that's uh, pretty much all we need to know. Uh, where should we begin, Michael? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's worth saying that, like, unlike a lot of co-written books, this is maybe one of the weirdest books with two <laughs> authors I've ever written because they will switch who is writing yep. paragraph by paragraph, mm-hmm. and they're not very good at cluing you in at it. Eventually, they get to a point where they're like, I, and then we'll have in parentheses John or Stacy. But, like, there were many passages where they just switched and you could only pick it up from context clues. Or like, this was all. not a consistent formatting. Yeah, there were many times where it'd be like, and then Stacy did, and I was like, I thought, I thought you were Stacy. What is happening here? <laughs> Ironically, making this an extremely gender fluid take about gender <laughs> essentialism. Yeah, it's worth. This noting- is the they them of novels, or nice to be. This is the they yeah. them of uh, advice books. It is worth noting that to John and Stacy, there are only the two genders which they refer to over and over again. Uh, they. Everything is just like within a completely two gender heterosexual context. To them, there's only men and women in straight relationships. And men are essentially one thing and women are essentially one thing. And that is all there is. So there is no space in any of this for anybody who might be non-binary or anything other than straight whatsoever. Like just beyond the conception of these people. (laughs) There is no room in this book for, like, 
emo teen men uh emo teen men who paint their nails like that gets called out as like a problem in this book uh so certainly nothing for our trans non-binary queer friends uh which i i gotta say we were talking about it before the pod i think we're all a little torn on because on the one hand that's absolutely horrific that these people just don't exist to you and on the other hand i'm sure if you were talking about them you would have only terrible things to say so in the i i felt like it was kind of a blessing that we didn't get john and stacy's hot trans takes yeah i was i was glad that they kept those names out of their mouth (laughs) yeah yeah i I wish they kept a few more out their mouth but here we are (laughs) it wouldn't be shitty christians if if they had had the good sense to shut the fuck up um i mean in a way that's what this podcast is about people who don't have the good sense to shut the fuck up so, like all uh, great books about biblical womanhood, it starts with an introduction by a man. Um, <laughs> it doesn't identify John as the author, but it becomes pretty clear because John is just off the fucking chain in this one. Like, I thought he was wilding out, haha, in the last one, but he is somehow more villainous in this. And just the fetishization starts immediately. Like, the first line, oh, now we are on holy ground. Like, mm. I, I don't really get it. Uh, he talks about writing wild at heart and how that that was, you know, not that men are simpletons, but like they're less complicated, you know, less complicated of the two genders. Once again, like sentence two, the gender binary has existed and is, is impermeable for these people. Also, I've met men. Uh, we are many things. Uncomplicated is not one of them. Um, Assholes. Imagine like being like men are simple. Jordan Peterson, the other day, was being interviewed by somebody and they were like, why is Antifa evil? And Jordan Peterson starts crying and then says Antifa is evil because they hate God for the crime of existing. Like, what well, the I mean, <laughs> stop clocks. I mean, yeah. on, every now and again. I'm just saying, like, my guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This Jordan is Peterson, the clean is... your room asshole, like breaking down in tears <laughs> over the existence of Antifa. So good. Uh, like wretched human. Yeah, let's, simple, uh, simple let's no. dive in. Yeah, yeah. Let's dive into chapter one, which opens on a, a fairly evocative picture of child endangerment well there's a lot of that in this book unfortunately (laughs) this this book is one giant fucking trigger warning yes Uh, yes absolutely i'm not trying to make i'm not trying to make light of it but holy shit but let this be your trigger warning dear listeners if you were thinking of picking up this book and you might be triggered by anything from like suicide Mm -hmm. um rape the patriarchy in general yeah any form of sexual misogyny um child endangerment or abuse um, you really, you name it, this book will treat it very blithely. This is Christian Sallow. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Michael continues. Yeah, and and continue. it will attempt to care, but all it will do is more harm. Yeah. It's really wild. So, opening of the book. Not unlike Wild at Heart, this begins in the woods. You know, I, I think when John starts his book, he was out tracking a moose or something. I like a bull know. elk. <laughs> Uh, yes. But now now it's Stacy's story. So, of course, she's not out on her own having adventures because ladies don't be doing that. She's with her family. Of course. Uh, encouraging them to hop in a canoe 
and uh, canoe down an unfamiliar river with about 20 minutes of daylight left. And she makes a point of pointing out that this is dangerous, that they don't really know where they are, that it's going to be somewhat arduous, and that in 20 minutes it's going to be pitch dark and they're going to have to find their way back to their car in an unfamiliar area with no light. But you know what? Adventurers got to adventure. So they all hop in the canoe and they make their way down and she spends like five purple paragraphs describing the trees and how beautiful they are. And then wouldn't you know it, they get to where they were planning to get out of the river and there is a giant fucking moose there ready to fuck their shit up. And for for our listeners who have not spent a lot of time in the woods, it's worth noting, uh, moose will kill you. Like, they are not fucking around. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and and do and do a lot more frequently than animals that you might be more scared of if you weren't aware of. You like like they are just they are just tanks with horns. It's it's not okay. Moose, like, like, moose mm. uh, are responsible for the most deaths in human wildlife interactions in national parks. Uh, moose, my God, moose are fucking cool. The first time Kelsey's dog made a sound, she was walking her in the mountains. And all of a sudden, her growling looked down, and Kelsey's dog is growling at a moose and her calf. <laughs> like, ears flat to her skull, just like, I'll fucking kill you, moose. <laughs> and thankfully, she was on a leash, and we all live to tell the tale. Anyway. Okay, that is very good. Yeah, yeah. It's weird that we had to do an exorcism to get Kelsey for here. For <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, so... In a series of amazing choices by these parents, they have packed their two young children into a canoe, traveled down what it's they describe as a swift-moving river. But it is river. actually three children. <laughs> Damn. Well, I, th- I believe she says two for this story. There are three, but I believe she specifically mentions two. None of this matters. Okay. But, sorry. Um, yes. Sorry. But, uh, no, I'm, but well, she, I want to so fight about dark. this. I'm like, which, is it the two that went to Westmont or not? <laughs> <laughs> it probably was. Uh, so the, all that they can do, because if they get out of the stream, this is this moose is going to kill them, is turn around and try to pedal, p- paddle back upstream, knowing full well that if they hit the current wrong, they're going to capsize and their two young children are going to be swept back down towards the death moose. Like, that is their <laughs> only option. So they have to very carefully, in darkness, navigate their way back upstream. And she sums this entire story up with, it was glorious. I don't know. I read that and thought these people should not be allowed to parent children. The, the CPS should come and take these children away from these parents. What did y'all think? Can I, can I read a two-sentence section of this? Please do. This is after she says it was glorious. And she feels like she has really accomplished something by nearly drowning her boys. Which, you know, readers can decide for themselves if that would have been good or bad. But she says, I was no longer Stacy. I was Sacagawea, Indian princess of the West. A valiant mm-hmm. and strong woman. And what a, what a mood for uh, settler colonia, colonial colonists to uh, come in and uh, endanger their children and be like, yo, I was basically an Indian princess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, over and over again throughout these two books, <laughs> Wild at Heart and Captivating, they talk about just like the most, what seems to me, I'm not a parent. I'm never going to be a parent, God willing. Um, and thanks be to modern medicine. But um, so many times, it just almost everything they say about their children, I'm just like, you, y'all made it to adulthood. Right. Which yeah. is amazing. Like so many times in Wild at Heart, we heard about John, um, 
like encouraging his boys to just do violence to each other. Like, to go ahead and draw blood, mm-hmm. um, to beat up the bully, regardless of Jesus' command to turn the other cheek. Because that is what it is to be a true man. You have to test your strength as a boy. That their central question is, am I enough? And to answer that question, you have to almost die. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only way to know that you're a man, is when another man bestows masculinity on you. Uh, mm, mm, maybe a little sus. But uh, yeah, there is a moment in this book where Stacy describes how like one of her sons came in with like a wound, and, and John's only response was huh, "nice wound," and then she's like caring for her crying child. Like that is that is John's take on all of this. Is like not only what doesn't kill you make you stronger, but if you're not actively trying to murder yourself through acts of braggadocio, then you have not achieved biblical masculinity. <laughs> um, and but I feel like we need to the take two is oh, that. Um, women exist to like clean up Mm -hmm. after that yes right that like that within that context like women can like live up to their full feminine potential Mm -hmm. um as like a nurturing presence because you have something to essentially clean up there is a moment in uh the history boys where one of the professors sort of is talking about history and war and bloodshed and you know, talking about the role of women and all of this. And she's like, history is women walking behind with a bucket to <laughs> clean up the mess you make. And in that context, it's a sort of scathing indictment of these pretentious little mm-hmm. uh, prep school fuckers who think they know things. And when, in fact, men have been ruining things for centuries. And when Stacy saw that movie, she was thought, damn right, I am the best bucket carrier of all time. Like, it is really wild and we'll get to stacy's a pretty empathetic character in this book all things considered she is actively doing harm by participating in the writing of it and i think their ministry you know since then is not a good thing but we'll get to all of the reasons that it's very hard to read this book and not walk away with a lot of empathy because stacy has been through some shit and i think that like the conclusions that she and probably more accurately that john has forced upon her Mm -hmm. that she comes to are in many ways a response to real trauma that she has endured uh, but in this moment, in this introduction, her being like, so I almost killed my kids. That was fucking dope. Is a wild beginning. Also, bitches, I'm Sacagawea. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. I There were, it was already covered. There was a lot of those moments in that last book. But in case you thought that we were going to get away from the, hey, co- colonists were cool. They didn't do any murders. Nope. Nope. None of that. Uh, she thought she thought Pocahontas was a bit too scathing in its uh, indictment of co- colonialism. <laughs> she likes all the other Disney movies, though. We'll get to that. Uh, then she just sort of casually pivots to some horrifying tales of harassment by her family. Yeah. Um, just really dark stuff, really, and I, I'm honestly a little t- traumatizing. Yeah, sad, yeah. sad shit. I don't think it's worth it to go into all of them, um, but I, I do think it's worth setting the stage by having a little bit of information yeah. now that we've had a content warning up front. Mm-hmm. But like things like when she got her first training bra, her sister's forcing her out into the hallway where her dad was waiting to take a picture. Like, yeah. And that was like a funny prank. And she acknowledges that like, hey, I, I never laughed at that. That wasn't funny. But she she sort of, casually sort of runs through these things is like hey this was bad i didn't have good parenting experiences but for me it, it lacked a full recognition of just like that is some fucking psycho shit that you were forced to endure and i, I don't know it was real dark it was just like wow this is bad and we get into more bad things that happen in stacy's life but uh holy shit yeah i 
I don't know if this is the part, to t- or if we want to do it up front, or if we want to do it towards the end about how we feel about Stacy. But she is a complicated figure. Like John, I genuinely feel like you never see any sense of who John actually is in Wild at Heart. He's he's a fa- he's a fabulist. He's an asshole. He's he he believes his own shit. And he is just Christian. Yeah, he's a Jordan theater Peterson. kid pretending to be William Wallace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris, Kelsey said it. Christian Jordan Peterson, and and, and yeah. he's crying about Looney Tunes characters, and like, but there's some like this is twice as long, and I think that's important, and it's so mm-hmm. much more like mixed. And I kind of have my own theory, like being having grown up around sort of strong Christian women who will like believe conservative shit that it hurts them, that like it really does kind of fracture your perspective on the world. You know, like you really believe that like women can do all these things. Women can be surgeons and like they can like raise their families, but all, but like also have to stay in their lane and be essentially feminine and unveil their beauty. And like, there really is kind of this double mindedness where Stacy is like encountering the suffering and awfulness that happens to like women across the world because of the patriarchy. And through time. Of course. And she just can't, like, because of ideology and various things we'll get to, it just, she can't actually face it honestly. And it's like, I found it just deeply sad a lot of times. Yeah, I felt like reading Wild at Heart, uh, you know, my primary emotion was just rage. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Especially reading, you know, about all of these experiences that are so fundamental to who I am, like, particularly experiences um, in the outdoors and sort of with self-sufficiency and, um, and and having those labeled as sort of essentially masculine experiences when I would say they're not in any way related to gender. Um, so I was often like enraged while reading Wild at Heart and I was mostly just deeply sad while reading Captivating. Like I was certainly mad at certain points, but um, but mostly I just felt deeply sad for Stacy and also like kind of for myself like I didn't actually read this book in high school but it was like sort of one of the options of books that I could have read in a high school girls bible study and I felt sad not just for myself but just for all of the girls who read this and like saw it as sort of liberating to their gender identity because it said that like it doesn't just boil down to purity culture and like being a virgin it says other things Mm -hmm. um and those things are also fundamentally so, so limiting. Um, and yet somehow manages to feel like an alternative um, to something worse. And that's what this, that's yeah. just what this whole book was. Like maybe a slight step up from the, the worst elements of what many of us were raised with. Um, and mostly I came away just feeling really sad. This is going to be a fun podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Buckle up. I, uh, Yep. I, uh, I similarly, I had just so much more empathy. Like John is such a villain and we'll yes. get to like, John continues his villainy here. And Stacy is a nay, victim. He steps she it is... up. He steps up his villainy. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I, he, like I said, he, he is innovates the in the in villainy game. In the... <laughs> we will get to his three types of women. Don't you worry, dear listener. Hey, hey, because uh, you know what? Everybody yeah. knows there's at least four types of women. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that you made a great point there, Kelsey, that, like, this book 
exists far more effectively at a critique of the evangelical mm. conception of like women. Uh, Wild at Heart was very much trying to be that. Like John clearly had an axe to grind about like khaki ass motherfuckers, nice guys in church. Like he would get furious fairly regularly, but his critiques never really hit home. Both because I don't think they were ever very good or true. My <laughs> experience with a lot of Christian guys has not led me to the conclusion that they are just too nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure maybe Kelsey, you would have more to add on that <laughs> on that specific point. This really, uh, my only. My only addition to that is amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, but also because biblical manhood, a topic that makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit, or just a, a, a fake concept that makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit, was also remade in Wild at Heart's image. Yeah. This warrior, bro dude, douchebag, adventurer, colonist, capitalist thing. Like, all of that is now far more prevalent thanks to wild at heart and so it never really made sense in a modern context because he won yeah biblical manhood is this bullshit now but but captivating and specifically mm. stacy's critiques are so much more trenchant and real and I, echoing you zach like as someone that grew up with a strong mother in the church and and was yeah. raised and cared for far more effectively by a lot of strong women in church than men yeah. like yeah there, these critiques feel very real and trenchant to me, and it is it is agonizing how she will very very clearly lay out so many of the issues with with uh, biblical womanhood, yeah. with you know this servant mentality that gets foisted on all of these women, and then follow it up with just the worst solutions of all time. Uh, but I agree, it is it is much more effectively a critique, and it is arguably marginally better. And we'll get to some of the reasons why, while still being just fucking bad so stacy stacy has a feminist phase in college she talks about it in very very funny terms there's a moment where she says i was a feminist but my heart was still empty and it's like yeah those aren't contradictory terms right. sometimes like feminists want a relationship that they don't have like what like why like she's saying it as a critique of feminism that like you know hey this was like good for me to feel empowered as a woman but it didn't feed my heart and soul and it's like no those are just different things like what it's like i had a burrito but i still felt i i uh but i still felt hungry the next day but i was day. still thirsty <laughs> like yeah. sometimes i no. still want chinese takeout right yeah it's just yeah, like, it's uh, okay totally. stacy like it, it and again, I, it's hard because Stacy does wrong here. It needs to be like Stacy has some things to repent for in this fucking book, but she also like I just feel so much empathy for the shit she's been through and how she arrived at these conclusions. Uh, another example of her family just being the worst. Her mom tells her as she's about to get married that love flies out the window when there's no pork chop on the table, Oof. which um is about uh, about as clever I've ever heard a like women be in the kitchen shit like it, it, it's weird to invest energy in that but it's just so dark and she talks about getting married and despite the fact that she was never trained to cook, like her mom never taught her how to cook she says she's cooked five meals in her life but she dedicates herself to this and tries really hard and you know to do these things that she's been told she's supposed to do now as a wife and then she says in two weeks i was laid out of the couch feeling broken and like a failure telling john he was on his own and i just I think it really evocatively gets at something that like, yeah, we sell women this bill of goods for marriage, especially in the evangelical church that is like totally unfair, should never have been there to begin with. And then they feel like failures because nobody can be a perfect housemaid and parent and probably have to work because we're in the 2000s now and single family incomes don't exist. 
That like, is, and that comes up so many, you know, reading it in 2022 is so interesting where like the, she sets up again and again, or they set up again and again, um, the idea that, you know, you're either like a, a housewife and you feel swallowed by laundry or you're, you know, basically a single like feminazi um, you know, career woman and you're swallowed by meetings and never the twain shall meet. And like, realistically, yeah. that hasn't been true. It wasn't true in 2005 either. Um, but the idea that like, you're not fulfilled by either of them without encountering the idea that like, yeah, you know, she names over and over again that women are fucking exhausted, which is true. Um, and it's not, you know, she's Kelsey is lying down in a bed right now with an IV in her arm. Yeah, no, that is always the case. Um, <laughs> you know, but but like, and she names like the church is a big part of that, like expecting women to just like be on every committee and just like hold it all together without naming the fact that like women have been back in the workforce for like 30 years now, equal rates to men almost. And there is no equal division of household labor. Women do almost all of the dishes still to this day in the year of our Lord, 2022. Research will back me up. Um, <laughs> and like, maybe that is why women are tired. Like men are so busy out fucking bow hunting um, <laughs> that they can't be bothered to help with the childcare or do any of the cleanup. And so women have to do it fucking all. And yeah, maybe that's why we're exhausted. Just going to slowly slide my bow back into the closet and agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, as the primary dishwasher in his household, I, I concur. I agree. Um, men, do, do your fucking dishes. Um, this, this was yeah. not a pointed call out. I was actually relying this on... This is a call in. This is a call in. No. Uh, actually, there's been a ton of research showing that yeah. men in heterosexual relationships, men do... Almost none of the housework, even if both people work outside of the home. Um, so that was not personal in any no, way. No, no, I didn't. It I is, didn't actually take this point. I was universal. just making jokes. But yeah. no, it's it's a point worth bringing up that like, yes, this is despite the fact that every family now has both parents working because they have to to survive. Uh, so much of that other labor, whether it's parenting or housework, falls falls on just um, yeah. And, and again, it's 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 it, it's the list of things they can't name. Right. It's yep. it's and, and among those things, of course, is capitalism, because. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, say what you, you know, obviously women should be allowed to work and all that jazz. But uh, since women are the workforce, a single parent income also now can't support a family. We have completely, completely defanged women's liberation in part through capitalism's acceleration. Agreed. I uh, so let's let's give an example. I had an example here because there are moments of what I would call like either genuine wisdom or close to it in this book, and I think it's important for our understanding of like Stacy's contribution to like sort of moving past John's assholery to like point <laughs> a couple of those out. Like there was a moment where she's talking about the church and she says there's been precious little wisdom offered on the path to becoming a woman. Oh, we know the expectations that have been laid out on us by our families, our churches, and our cultures. There are reams of material on what you ought to do, but that is not the same thing as knowing what the journey towards becoming a woman involves or even what the goal should really be. And like, while I don't agree that there is some one journey that women need to be on, like, I think she's making a good point that like women get a series of expectations and that's about fucking all. Like, I think that's very trenchant. It, I don't know. Yes. I, if, I, yeah. I highlighted a different passage saying basically the same thing. And she actually says that a few times throughout the book that women 
and she means specifically like Christian women who are part of the church, yeah. um, are very tired. Um, and she says, picture mm-hmm. the women we hold up as models of femininity in the church. They are sweet. They are helpful. Their hair is coiffed. They are busy. They are disciplined. They are composed, and they are tired. Yeah. And instead I, uh, of actually I... naming the forces of capitalism and patriarchy that make women mm-hmm. on the hook for yes. fucking everything, yep. um, it instead becomes women are tired because their men are not fighting for them in a wild at heart kind of spiritual battle kind of way. <laughs> yes, because they're not praying enough demons away. Uh, because ladies, ladies be get, having demons. La- uh, just, okay, ladies just a be lot, having a demons. lot of possession going. We on. all know that. I. Uh, she even calls out the church. She says the church has not been a big big help here. No, that's not quite honest enough. The church has been part of the problem. Uh, and so I say that to point out that like she really does name some real shit, mm-hmm. and then she moves on to. The, or they move on to, uh, because John starts rearing his ugly head once again around this time. <laughs> the three things that all women need. No. Uh, and, 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 and guys, we go straight away from, straight from like fairly trenchant criticism of church culture, uh, particularly powerful coming from a woman within that culture, immediately into just the worst gender essentialism you will ever read. Like, I, I, I hesitate. You could read James Dobson and not come away with quite as a gender essentialist view as Wild at Heart positive and and captivating echoes with ever so slightly more nuanced so let's see what what is the list guys for this one so women need three things just like men need three things and what was what are the three things that that men need just as a recap to our pussy money weed (laughs) (laughs) sorry dad still funny zach still funny the second time you know uh, what i thought so (laughs) we love a callback yeah yeah. (laughs) I um I think it was an adventure, a, a, a damsel a, a, to save. I don't think that was the exact phrase. An adventure a beauty, to go a on. A beauty to save, a adventure, and a battle to fight, I think. Yeah, battle to fight. And and it's, yeah, exactly. That was those three things. Uh, so the lady so, equivalent. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the, the, the lady equivalents are <laughs> the three major essential needs of all women everywhere is to be romanced. To play an essential role in a grand adventure and to unveil beauty. And almost none of those things are actually addressed except for unveiling beauty. <laughs> oh, they address the unveiling of beauty. <laughs> the unveiling of beauty like, is addressed in space. I'm sorry, every time I just it it's it's so sexual, right? <laughs> like, this book is so fucking horny. And Wild really at Heart horny. was too. It mostly of all of the I, so it references Genesis a whole lot and the fall of oh, Eve yeah. and all her daughters, blah blah blah. Um, but the second <laughs> most frequently referenced book is far and away Song of Songs, which of course they oh, interpret yeah. to mean like what Jesus is saying to women everywhere instead of like what maybe a specific dude. Mm-hmm. In the ancient ancient Middle East might be saying to a young woman in the ancient Middle East thousands of years ago. We didn't talk about this last week, but I vividly remember from Wild at Heart a passage from Song of Songs comparing breasts to to a pair of fawns and and just not really understanding how that worked. They're bouncy, Zach. That's (laughs) That's the takeaway. Fawns like to bounce. That's better than, yeah. All right, that's a better explanation yeah. than I had. No, that I literally had that explained to me by a youth pastor once. Oh, so fuck, that's you're serious? I was just Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I have no idea the accuracy of it, but when somebody asked, we were doing a song of songs things, because of fucking course we were. Yep. So yep. in between all the, like, porn Ew. will rot your soul. Yep. Um, 
there was a thing about how like so what's the deal with the fawns and he just he did he held his hand to his not insubstantial breasts himself <laughs> and sort of jiggled them um to communicate to the the young people under his spiritual authority who were trying to learn things so that's what that was okay at. well let me let me tell you what as the only person in this room who has breasts there are a number of things i would compare them to and fawns are absolutely not on the list yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I listen, uh, everyone knows breasts are herbivores, but like that's not the main thing they are. So <laughs> although, I, uh, although breasts are not vegetarian distinctly. AO. Well, vegetarian not vegan, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, they, oh yeah, that's right. You're right. They're not vegan. I guess it depends on if we're talking about the product of the breast or the breast itself. Let's move desperately <laughs> onward. You have to cut that. So, you have to cut all of that. <laughs> cut none of that. So uh, we'll get into all of those three in more detail. I think the major one that's worth noting is that Women don't get their own adventure. They get an irreplaceable role in someone else's They get to adventure. be a supporting um, character. Yeah, yeah. They they get to be the damsel. Uh, and then she, she pivots pretty quickly into something that Wild at Heart does a lot too, which is gender essentialism by way of my children are like this, therefore every child is like this. And to um, later, and reiterate, she, they have three boys, two of whom I went to college with. Um, and that is it, no girls. And... Yep. Their boys were raised in a very specific way by John, um, most importantly, to be like the bow hunting alpha types, um, which they then mm -hmm. read to mean uh, that all boys are like this no matter what. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll save it for another point. But there was a point I didn't want to make uh, that I wanted to make last week and didn't get around to, which is like as a boy that grew up in a culture not unlike the the like vision that john elridge envisioned yeah it's not always great for the for the straight boys either like like oh, actually yeah. not all boys even straight boys or want these things to just constantly harm themselves and uh maybe living in a culture that encourages young boys to do that constantly and to compete and fight constantly doesn't work out so great for all of those young boys weird i'd like to disagree um, it worked out well for me uh because yeah, i'm a pure right. al because yeah. i'm a pure alpha pinnacle of masculinity uh <laughs> i think you're a bit more of a sigma male zach i'm gonna be I mean, honest that's, that's definitely true i just believe in semen retention yeah there you go uh so one of the major takeaways from wild at heart is that like there are 10 movies that john eldridge has watched <laughs> and he referenced them constantly uh but the ladies don't you worry you get your own list of movies and there is a tiny bit of overlap most specifically Oh my gosh, what's the one with William Wallace? Braveheart. Braveheart! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Another movie that I have not seen. Most specifically, <laughs> we do get to reference Braveheart. It is not nearly as important as Lord of the Rings, but it is still Oh my God, that was one of my major takeaways. Lord of the Rings came out in between Wild at yes. Heart and Captivating. Yes. And as we, we all know, the sort of evangelical, <laughs> like, fucking love affair with uh, Lord of the Rings. But man, is it, it could not be more clear that Lord of the Rings is Lady Braveheart for the purposes of this book. Like, would, it get, would, gets referenced nearly as often as Braveheart was in Wild at Heart. It comes up so damn much. Like, Lord of the Rings 100% is Stacy's Braveheart, but she still likes Braveheart because you know what? Bra Braveheart also has a princess that needs to be rescued by a hairy man. And Mel Gibson's hot. And it, yeah, well, she specifically meant... Okay, so I'm going to read... This is the list of lady movies that comes through in a paragraph. Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, The Little Mermaid, Sound of Music, Sense and Sensibility, Little Women, Titanic, and We Can't Forget... 
Braveheart. And then in parentheses, she says, come on now. Wouldn't you want to ride through the Scottish Highlands with a man like Mel Gibson? <laughs> oh, that just did not age just, well. Yeah. 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 Except for, I, I'm sure for Stacy, it's still fine. She'll still be like, yeah, I'd still do that. Absolutely. But um, it's, it's, yeah, maybe, maybe not so people much. People forget Mel. How, how big a star he was, but that's a different podcast. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I just think it's pretty funny that like, John gets his nonstop list of like every tired war movie of all time. Uh, the the Stacy's list immediately starts with three Disney movies. Yeah, like these are children's films. John didn't have any children's films. You have children's films. Like uh, my favorite detail, and, and, and I don't know how much time we spent on this, but like Top Gun being the list of dude movies, and like if you Google Top Gun, it is just and I love Top Gun's great pure homoeroticism. It's just oh yeah, I want beautiful men being beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, homoeroticism, Top Gun, but Lord of the Rings, also very homoerotic, makes yeah. Stacy's list. So at least we get some boy love on the podcast. It's important to me that we acknowledge this. We get um, a lot of also, especially later in the book, Enchanted April. Oh. The oh, yes, that's right. classic that I have never heard of um, and that I am IMDb-ing right now uh, that basically shows all of the ways you can fail to be... A biblical woman. <laughs> yeah, if if Stacy is here to help build up women, John is here to tell you all of the ways you're gonna fuck it up, and we'll we'll definitely get a little bit more into that. But first, we need to talk a little bit about John's romance strats. Uh, um, uh, so we're we're about to get do some diagrams, draw some green lines, find out who was leaning. But the major takeaway <laughs> here is that John was so fucking creepy. Like, yes. oh my God, yes. creepy. Like, John had been friends with Stacy for years. They had known each other for years and years through their theater stuff. And then he starts, <laughs> like, leaving poetry on her windshield while she's at work. Yep. Normal, normal stuff. That's terrifying to me. Like, I can't imagine what it would be like. Actually, I can a little bit. I've known many women who have received unwanted, like, notes from somebody randomly on their car as they go about their life. Like, it's 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 not a cool move. Stacy appeared to be into it. She, she liked being, as she put it, pursued. But, like, I think the more accurate term would be hunted. Like, it, it, does, it does not have good vibes. Yeah, and, like... An enormous percentage of us will be stalked at some point in our lives. And I, I say this like as one of the many, um, mm -hmm. but th this is like a normal experience for tons of women to just have dudes pursuing them, quote unquote, pursuing them, whether that's just like on the internet, like relentlessly leaving comments or like sending emails from unidentified email addresses, but you know, it's all the same dude, not to, I don't know where the, did that come from? Um, <laughs> or like, um, like have a stranger like follow you down the street and not leave you alone like this is a daily experience for many of us and to have it cast as like the pinnacle of romance is deeply distressing I thank you for saying that yeah it is fundamentally non-consensual pursuit and I think that it like clearly you know we don't know the rest of their lives I'm not like she is not claiming that he was doing this without her consent. She is saying that she wa was an active participant, I, liked I it. I read it but as never... like he did it once they were in a relationship. Uh, okay. I, I think that is a reasonable takeaway. But nevertheless, we have to acknowledge that the mechanics of how he pursued her are not any different from what we would call stalking in a lot of other contexts. Like that is still not a good move because it mimics so many things that are like gross and terrible and that women have to deal with constantly. Like I, I just... 
I don't know exactly what happened there, but it, it gave me bad vibes, personally. Uh, Michael, you didn't complain when I left, like, poetry on your windshield. Now, I will say it was a little different because I threw a brick through it first, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's different if you make it in the cab of the car. That's, that's the key there. Um, I, uh, I, will just, I will just say one in three women will be stalked in their lifetime. Wow. Um, it's a it's a very Good large Lord. percentage. That's this a is, lower number than I expected. It's a lower right. number than many of us expected. Um, it it's something that should be talked about more often and is probably the subject for another podcast. But um, <laughs> just to say, it's a very common experience among women. Uh, and so, if that is your experience, you're not alone. Yep. Uh, also, we don't we don't do a lot of call outs for our listeners on the podcast. But can we just say, as a sort of blanket statement for the men, get your fucking shit together. Yeah, this is embarrassing. Grow the fuck up. Be better. <laughs> well, I will I know also that's not say hopeful. that one in six men will also be stalked in their lifetime, probably by okay. by other men mostly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, men are still the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, almost I, uh, always. Okay, so moving forward. There, there's a lot of stuff to get into with beauty. Um, we talked a little bit about like the lack of gender fluidity, and there's so much of that. Like, it's why little girls play dress up, little boys play dress up, but they're cowboys or army men or Jedi knights, but but they're never bridegrooms or fairies or butterflies. Little boys do not paint their toenails. They do not beg to get their ears pierced, and it's just. It's so fucking weird when all of these things that are so clearly enculturated, like you're talking about Jedi Knights, you're talking about fucking George Lucas's dreams, and you're saying this is essential to the heart of man. I also want to be like, clear, Jedi Knights wear dresses. <laughs> like, basically. Yeah, hell yeah. And that's fucking cool. And But it, it's just insane to me how oh, many yeah. socially constructed things she ascribes to, like, the fundamental nature of things when they are so clearly not. And, and that just... will just... Sorry, go ahead, Michael. No, no. I, just, I mean, it's just like... Okay, you have a sample size of three boys that you raised. (laughs) Like, you know who was never a fairy princess in any of her imagination games? Me. I was Mm -hmm. always just like an orphan on an adventure, like a la boxcar children. Like, that was my only game that I played was like a kid, like on her own in the forest, Trying to survive. And it was very fun. Now, part of this is because you were an orphan in a forest trying to survive. <laughs> That's, that is correct. <laughs> uh, did you ever like to play Kidnapped and Rescued, a game that, that Stacey so... says all young girls love to play? That was so fucked up. I, what the fuck? I never played Kidnapped and Rescued. Um, all of my friends as a kid were also girls. Um, my first uh-huh. like friend who was a boy did not come along until fifth grade. It was a really cute little friendship that we had because we were both bullied. Um, so we found each other Aww. and then we just like hung out on the playground and it was great. It was like a big improvement to both of our lives. But up until that point, um, all of my friends were girls and literally we only played adventure things. Like never were we brides, never were we princesses unless we were also like princesses who just like fought off bad dudes i guess um i didn't i just didn't want to say warrior princess um you were all Zeno. Yeah, yeah, we get it but that is a triggering what, term in this case. that is essentially what we were but like me and all of my little girlfriends like ran around like pretending like we were in the forest just surviving or maybe we were like pilgrims on the mayflower also just like surviving and it was like survival. Did you have enough to eat? <laughs> I did. I had more than enough to eat. Um, but like essential to all of the imagination games that I played as a kid and played with only little girl friends were like surviving on our own in a semi-wild environment 
And, and like, at no point were boys or men or being rescued, like, ever part of the equation. And you know what? We had a fucking blast. You were essentially, like, uh, Mila Jovovich's character in the Resident Evil series. Just surviving in a, in a difficult world of monsters. But getting yourself out of trouble. Probably. The Umbrella Corps. That was the real villain. <laughs> I uh, She does have things to say about women being warriors, uh, but they're always couched. So she's like, a woman is a warrior too, but she is meant to be a warrior in a uniquely feminine way. Yeah, which doesn't mean Lady anything. Warriors. Can, can I, I, you know, this is sort of, I think, the spot for it. The, fun, the thing about this book is it loves to take specifics from their lives and make them universal, number one. Mm-hmm. Which is also the true of Wild at Heart. Yeah, where it takes, yes. like, an experience of a 20th century white American boomer. And it's like, this is all people across all time in stone. Or it does the reverse, where it takes things that are part of the universal human condition. Like, like being tired. Like, having to work. like Being ne- lonely. Yeah, being lonely. Mm-hmm. Having feelings. Yeah. And it's like, no, that is specific to a gender. This is essentially category error the book. I think that's a great point that, like, so many of the things that they try to apply to a gender are just the human condition. Yeah. And it, it, it creates this false positive because you could be a young woman reading this book being like, yes, I identify that. That is me. I am feeling these things. And it's like, yeah, so is everyone fucking else. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not blaming the, per- the young person reading that book for that. But like, yes, they are just describing the human condition and then t- claiming that it only belongs to like one segment of the world, which was a huge problem in Wild at Heart, as Kelsey brought up. And it is recurring here um and it just sort of creates a creates this like continual reinforcement of a false positive like yeah you could read this book and relate to a lot of the problems they're describing because they're pretty universal fucking problems yep no Um, the old the old joke about fried chicken everybody fucking likes fried chicken yep i uh they spend a lot of time talking about beauty in this book and this was one of the most frustrating sections because by intentionally using such a blanket term beauty, it allows them to refer to everything from like nature and sunsets to a woman's physical beauty to her character all under one blanket term. And it allows them to sort of do this dodge because John is about to spend a fucking lot of time talking about women needing to be hot and about women's physical form and about how like women should try to be alluring and 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 be beautiful but then he can just dodge and be like but of course that's internal beauty but that's never the focus especially for john i think stacy genuinely believes that like character that who you are as a person is what makes you attractive and she spends a lot of time saying that some of the most beautiful people she's met are these you know 75 year old women who are confident in themselves and i while I still think that beauty is an imprecise term for that, I understand what she means. Someone being confident and generous and loving. And I think those are good things. But John is just using it to talk about like tit size. And then he can mask that as an internal character trait whenever he feels like it. Whenever he knows he's gone a little too far. That's so true. Yeah. What do you think about the beauty parts, Kelsey? So... Ugh. <laughs> yeah yeah that's a that's a, honestly that's a great start just you really need to get like some of the emotion of just like it, you feel a little sick reading it right yes absolutely and it's you're so right in the way that they just use beauty to describe everything mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and 
call out Stacy specifically, you know, calls out a number of issues with what I would consider to be and I think accurately could be described as beauty standards upheld by the patriarchy, like specifically yep. to keep women subjugated and separated from their scarce resources. Mm-hmm. Um, like that is used interchangeably with being nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being a host is like considered part of beauty, like inviting people in. It's like, bro, first of all, that's not beauty. And secondly, why is that a lady thing? Yes. It, so there's, I mean, so they, they ascribe beauty like specifically to women and, and like what they, what they mean by beauty actually is a certain like very traditionally defined quote unquote feminine softness. Yes. They specifically say at a couple points, like, softness is is essential to like females beauty and they like and again if you're if you're having sort of incel responses that are just like oh wow you're doing the female thing yeah they do that but yeah softness uh essence comes up a lot this sort of essence of femininity um this this sort of intangible other that nevertheless at least for john always gets couched in like physical terms yes and they say feminine soul a lot like a lot Mm, a lot mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and like by that they mean a combination of the female form as john puts it many times and then these like really stereotypical feminine characteristics of nurturing Mm -hmm. um softness like hospitality mm-hmm. um things that i would argue are you know if everyone had those characteristics society would be a lot better um like if everybody was warm towards vulnerable people um yeah. and was there to like provide support for others like society be, would be much, much better. But instead, these things are all described in terms of beauty and then used interchangeably with physical beauty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they they say a bunch of times that all women, all women in italics are beautiful. Mm-hmm. That all of us have this beauty to unveil. Um, it's a bummer for people who don't have, like, an appreciative cishet male audience to, like, witness that unveiling. Um, but, uh, but that, you know, but like you can be single, you know, unfortunately for you, you can be single, um, and still have that, you know, feminine beauty and feminine soul. Um, but, but there is almost no like definition, definitional difference between physical beauty as enforced by the patriarchy and, just like generally nice characteristics to have that would make society a better place. I think that's extremely well put and it, it allows them that so much just vagueness that they can exploit. And it allows like Stacy to talk about, you know, beauty standards and like a she'll say things like how many diets have you been on? Isn't that proof that you desire to be beautiful? And, Rather than seeing that as a like scathing indictment of a culture that polices women's bodies constantly, uh, she sees it as pointing to the fundamental essence of, of the feminine. And then she can pivot from that and be like, yeah, you maybe don't need a diet. You just need to you just need to like unlock your inner female essence. And then John will be right behind her to be like, but go on the fucking diet. Um, yeah, because so of the feminine just, form. 
because of the feminine form. Uh, so it, it really is like very frustrating how close this book comes to identifying the actual things it's critiquing, but it just can't do it. It just can't do it. So it's an entire book about how there are real problems and uh, none of them are the fault of any of the things they are act that are actually responsible for them. Uh, as we will get to, Satan is probably the reason for most bad things that are happening in the world, they, uh, specifically to women. She also identifies a lot like women's isolation, which yeah. I would say is not gendered at all. Like everyone is isolated in late capitalism mm -hmm. um, by design. Yep. Um, women, maybe even to a greater extent, and like when women are separated from networks of other women, like we are less likely to know, for example, um, and, and a lot of studies have shown this, how to negotiate effectively for a higher starting salary. Mm -hmm. um, yep. We are more likely to um, be stuck with more childcare, for example. Um, so there are very specific like material ways that women being separated from networks of other women suffer and are... Um, sort of subjugated further and instead of naming that as the result of patriarchy and capitalism it becomes just the problem of satan yeah is that yep. do we want to segue to that talking about or, that? And, let's not get there yet there's also, a little bit more to cover okay. like but go ahead maybe also the fault of women themselves yeah like yeah. so a lot of yeah. this book is also spent identifying women as being catty bitches basically yeah um, yeah. who are just here to like yell at each other in grocery stores mm -hmm. and also like not have good relationships with their mothers and sisters um, because we're like jealous of each other, I guess. And rather than identifying those things as like a very intentional wedge driven between women by the forces of patriarchy to keep us, for example, from negotiating for a better starting salary, um, it just becomes like part of the feminine essence of like cattiness and jealousy. Uh, and John will spend a lot of time talking about all the ways that women's personalities can be busted. That is a major concern for him. And he sort of has this scale of womanhood that exists from like harpy to like sexy to like broken. <laughs> okay, like that is that is his scale of all women is that you are either a domineering woman, you are an alluring woman, or you are, I forget his term, but wait, essentially wait, have you have it, been wounded. I have it written down, hang on. Uh, yep. Oh, a desolate woman. Desolate, 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 which is somehow worse. Yeah. Oh, by like, the, just for John, women can be ugly inside and out. <laughs> yeah, that's what John believes. I to sum up the talk about beauty as we move forward. There's a point towards the end where I believe it's Stacy talking. Is like every woman has a beauty to unveil every woman because she bears the image of God. She doesn't have to conjure it, go get it from a salon, have plastic surgery or breast implants. Beauty is an essence that is given to every woman at her creation. And I get what she's going for there, uh, but it kind of flies in the face of the five pages you spent talking about how women love playing dress up. Like there are so many other moments where you were relying on these constructions of gender to make your point that then being like, Oh, beauty has nothing to do with any of that. doesn't make a whole lot of fucking sense. Um, and that, that's sort of a common thread in this book is like, this just, this book just can't help but contradict itself constantly uh, because it is constantly relying on the things it's trying to critique to prove its point. Yeah, I mean, oh. this is something I want to talk about more on a later episode because we could spend, this could be a six hour pod, but mm 
Mm-hmm. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to how the right uses language. You know, I was watching a Jordan Peterson clip, not just him crying, but that one is funny and you should look it up. Uh, you him definitely ta- look it it's up. It's so good. He just bursts. I mean, our listeners have already seen Yeah, yeah, but he every just bursts episode. into tears. It's so funny. Um, Anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, But like another one of him back when he was in his hot daddy phase and he was talking about how like men need to be dangerous and it's like, and, mm-hmm. and the same thing happens, by the way, too, in, 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 in Wild at Heart. And I just think, like, the thing to be aware of here is that the right just play, is playing language games, particularly with the like the culture war stuff. They're always trying to just, like, have one word mean six things. And if you were like, why should men be dangerous? He's like, oh, I don't mean, like, bad or violent or hurting people. And it's like, well, then you're just not using that word correctly. And the same thing with beauty. Beauty doesn't mean what it actually what we when we think of aesthetics um and and they just the right will use it's essentially dog whistling all of language that's that's all i have to say yep i i and just redefining terms yeah. i mean we're seeing that with grooming right now of course like and it and it it's a very effective strategy if you're a groomer to like right. make that term less less effective at identifying the horrific shit that you're doing. Yeah, what like, what, what Nazi was it that said like we should accuse our enemy of that which we are guilty? And it's like that yeah. is a hundred percent of what's happening. Yep. Yeah. I uh speaking as you did, uh, Kelsey, to like the moments where she brings up women being exhausted just to have one like specific example for that she says it's so entirely common that women buried their longings for romance long ago and are now merely trying to survive to get through the week and it's like gee i fucking wonder why Mm -hmm. i wonder why Mm -hmm. people might be stuck in survival mode in the year of our lord 2022 yeah maybe it's because they're working outside of the home more than 40 hours a week and doing all of the fucking laundry and cooking and ditches yeah yeah, as our wages have stagnated and a lot of other terrible things have happened. Like, just fucking, it's crazy that you can identify it, but none of the causes. Uh, she says, efficiency has taken the place of adventure. Again, gee, I fucking wonder why. Yep. Um, yep. She, so, and she does name over and over again that, like, life feels really meaningless. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and yep. they, that was also a pretty constant refrain in Wild at Heart. Um, yeah. Which was that, you know, men yep. are lacking adventure um, and they sort of touch on that in in Captivating, too, that, like, women, like, want to be part of a great adventure. Like, really, they want to be the sidekick. Um, but, like, the idea that there maybe there sh- we feel like there should be more than just the constant grind of meetings or laundry or, in most cases, both. Mm-hmm. Because it's completely meaningless. Um, but then identifying that as, like, some failure of the genders to, like, live into their essential essence. Yeah, and it, it, it it's every, every MLM, every, uh, like, self-help guru, business guy, every cult starts with an acknowledgement of the real problems in people's lives and then just sells you a shit solution. And while I don't think that's necessarily their intention as much as some of these other things to just fully grift – uh, that is nevertheless what they are doing. They're identifying a real problem in society and trying to sell you a solution that is fucking bad. It's Trump's um, American carnage speech. You know, it's it's the thing the yeah. right can do so effectively. Things are bad. Neoliberal capitalism is destroying your life. And then they just limit it to these dumb libs. And and it's effective because the dumb libs do want to wed themselves to capitalism. <laughs> yep. So let's talk about chapter five, which is... 
an extremely gut-wrenching chapter to read. It's the chapter where she goes on to list very explicitly many of the harms that have been done to women. She talks about both her own personal experiences with sexual assault and also just horrible things that happen. She predominantly mentions other cultures, which I found kind of frustrating because like lots of bad shit happens to women in America too. But nevertheless, bringing up real major horrible things that happen to women all across the world that I don't know. Maybe Kelsey, I'll defer to you if we want to name these things specifically, or if that's less helpful. Um, I mean, she, she hits on everything like from the, I think what she knows to be the experiences of the women in that are going to be reading this book. Like, for example, things like stalking um, or just like, mm-hmm. a, you know, exhaustion from an un, unequal division of household labor to, you know, very high rates of sexual assault in both adulthood and childhood. And then also covers things that will seem, you know, v- very foreign or quote unquote exotic, like female genital mutilation. Um, yeah. And and it's a whole laundry list and, and goes back through time as well, like um, women being considered property or chattel. And they specifically list ancient Israel, but like that was true across cultures and including early modern Europe. Um, and, and in fact, like even Victorian Europe, um, women have been property and chattel for a really long time. Uh, but anyway, like this is just a laundry list of like what women have endured forever um, up right up until the present day. Excellent. Excellently stated. Yeah, it is. Just, it is grueling to read through. Uh, and, and but in another context could be really important. Uh, to acknowledge, especially for these books in the evangelical space that so often ignore the harm that is done to women. And yet at the end of this, Stacey and John decide to sum up the cause of this in a really troubling way, because they say, why do women deal with all of this? Like all of this shit that they're dealing with, why is it that women have seemed so targeted across centuries for all of these horrors? Is it because of the patriarchy? Is it because of men? No, it's Satan. Yeah, Kelsey, I think you should comment first, but this drove me insane. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and and it also felt like, gee, I wonder what would have happened if Stacy had written this book alone outside of the context of Wild at Heart. Because you are mm. following, I mean, this is a spinoff essentially, right? That yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this is following so closely in the footsteps of a book that said, you know what? Men are essentially violent and need an adventure. And we're not really at war that often anymore for most American men. Um, and so we need something else to go to battle for uh, or, or against. We're going to battle for women um, and we're going to battle against this, the forces of Satan. And so that's like just the unquestioned premise. And so how do you follow up, uh, uh, you know, a, essentially a spinoff other than to say, oh, yeah, these are the same forces that are fighting against women. And who do we have to fight for us? Men. Men. Yeah. As he says in Wild at Heart, the only reason towns are safe is because men keep them safe, ignoring all of the men that make <laughs> Who is unsafe. endangering the towns? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Is it just roving uh, bands of, like, hyenas or wolves? What's your problem, man? Yeah, I... Uh, I we won't get into the Lord of the Rings and how he pro- he dehumanizes a lot of other people to arrive at that conclusion. But um, 
Yes, it is. It is just Satan, and Satan has it out specifically for women because he's jealous of them. Yes, yeah, Satan, <laughs> Satan the, is the morning star. Satan is <laughs> yeah. so they. It is wild. It is absolutely wild to see the lengths that these people go to to like read into things mm-hmm. that are absolutely not even in the Bible. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't necessarily like have to get every single answer from the Bible. Um, <laughs> a very very old what? and sp- specifically like culturally situated document. Um, but even if we did, what these people would be doing would be an egregious stretch to say Satan was the serpent in the Garden of Eden and also was the morning star that fell from God's grace specifically because he was very proud of his own physical beauty and then incidentally also got jealous of G- of Eve's ability to create and nurture life, which is why Eve, not Adam, was specifically targeted in the Garden of Eden and why women especially go through way more horrific shit on the whole compared to men. It's because the devil is after us specifically. I, yep. This is the part where that like drove me the most insane. Like last night I was reading this yep. book and I was going through this chapter and it's listing all these awful crimes against women and it's, like, hard to read. Michael, I think, accurately described it as grueling. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm kind of having Michael's the, the response we talked about of, like, all right, she's acknowledging real shit. Unlike Wild at Heart, this is, like, yeah. This is describing, at least, you know, I, I am a cis-set white guy, but, like, what the women in my life have described to me and, and seems to be systemically real. And then at the end of it, she says the reason why women are suffering these things and all these crimes she's listed are done to women by men. <laughs> like, men yeah. with names. And she is like, the reason why is the devil. And it is like, I'm going to say something obvious, but it was one of the most startling. I was startled. Even though, like, of course they can't say. I can't believe they didn't say it was sin. No, it, it couldn't even ma- mention men because the previous book of this, I think Kelsey nailed it when she mentioned what would happen if this wasn't written in the shadow of a book about how dudes rock. Yep. It's insane, the power of ideology. They can never mention that it's men because the entire premise of both of these books is that men are good. So it has to be something outside. It was a, It's such a fascinating and heartbreaking willful blindness, Kelsey. Yeah, I'm actually going to just read a quick passage that gets so close so close to the truth mm-hmm. and then so far and then falls off a cliff like so much of this book um but specifically they say dear god what is to account for the systemic mm-hmm. often brutal wow. nearly universal assault on femininity which i would say women because femininity is a bullshit term yes where does that come from do not make the mistake of believing that quote men are the enemy certainly men have had a hand in this and will have a day of reckoning before their maker. But you will not understand this story or your story, meaning your story as a woman, mm-hmm. until you begin to see the actual forces with a capital F behind this behind this, and get a grip on their motives. So they have just named, actually like specifically named that these are systemic issues and then did a total 180 and said, and Satan and his forces are the ones to blame instead of the men who like maybe have a little bit, but we'll have to deal with God later in the afterlife. Yeah, they'll, they'll say towards the end of this section, this absolutely demented section, like, we're not letting men off the hook. But once again, not unlike John and his physical beauty pivoting to be like, no, 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 it's internal. It's like, but that's not what you just spent the last pen, 10 pages talking about. Like, you di- you say you don't let men off the hook, but the men are distinctly off the hook. Like, never, ever. They, they call for women to forgive their abusers yeah. before they call men to be accountable for their abuse. Like, it is really, really upsetting 
in part because it comes so close to the truth. And then just to just to sort of bring this section home, they talk about how like he des- Satan destroys all beauty in the natural world wherever he can. Strip mines, oil spills, fires Chernobyl. He wreaks <laughs> discretion on the glory of God in earth like a psychopath committed to destroying great works of art. So Chernobyl happened not because we were fucking around with nuclear power, not well. It happened because Satan. Yeah. And I I just can't fully express how much that lets men off the hook how much that says to women they're saying this in part they're trying to say women it's not your fault that you have dealt with this which i think when people have been abused and mistreated it's a lot of people do struggle with feeling like it's their fault and it's important to let them know that it's not but the thing that you're offering them in that stead is that you are trapped in an immutable war between God and the devil that will not end until God returns to this earth and so whatever bullshit you're going through cannot change like you can't you know what this there is can't there acknowledge- is one way in which you might experience a little reprieve before God comes back and praying, that praying is, it away <laughs> yes that is if you are married if you are a, a woman married mm-hmm. to a man and that man will quote unquote fight for you this we talked a little bit about about this before we actually started recording but um i think i just can't stop thinking about how disturbing this is um stacy talks a lot about in both in in both books it's it's actually discussed quite a bit about stacy's sort of long you know a, a long hard struggle with um just many mental health situations and yeah. Over and over again, John is cast as her savior because he will fight for her. Um, mm-hmm. And there's this uh, an incident that's just this like little throwaway scene, almost in captivating, where Stacy says she's sort of like going to bed feeling in the depths of despair. Um, and you know, when I go to bed feeling in the depths of despair, it is like a capital C crisis. And John comes in and prays for her and at first she's like a little embarrassed and then she's like into it and then they like have a worship session and john is the one who like that is their definition of a man fighting for a woman and it is so toxic to suggest that like a mental health issues are women's alone and b it is men's issue to solve because it's actually all the force of the devil and there's nothing else between women and the devil besides men so like what does that mean for women who maybe like aren't partnered with a man um or feel like they're not part of a community for whatever reason and like don't have anyone to fight for them like they're just left to fall asleep in the depths of despair without anyone to come and like pull them off the uh, edge of the abyss I think that's excellently stated. It is it is so fucking frustrating to see John's toxicity paraded around as like being a loving partner. It's really scary mm-hmm. to see mm-hmm. that this man just gets to be the worst fucking human being for decades and 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 be and then gets to write a book about how to be more like him. It's just mm, extremely upsetting. Uh yeah, I Long-time listeners will know, like, I often struggle with hopelessness in this world. And one of the very few things that that keeps me going is just this feeling that, like, I don't know that we will, but we could build a better world. Like, will we all burn up in ash and cinder because no one is doing anything about climate change? Yes, of course. But we could. It is possible <laughs> That's right. for, for human beings to build better systems, a, a better mechanisms for how we encounter these problems and to actually improve things. And I... 
I just can't quite get over the fact that this this argument pulls the rug out of that entirely. It says things cannot get better. You you were you were the subject of an internal millennials long struggle. We cannot build a more accountable system that holds men accountable for the crimes they commit. We we cannot do that. It wouldn't matter if we did because Satan would still be gunning for you. And that's not going to change until the end of time. And so what is intended to inspire hope and empathy and support in these women just ends up being the darkest fucking shit. And it is a real, real ugly chapter in a book that is often at least scratching at nuance, um, thanks to Stacy's input. Uh, and whew, it's just, it was, it was the absolute low point, and it sounds like that was pretty universal for for the three of us of just like, wow, this is dark. Um, Kelsey, I have a question for you. Yes, Michael. Which woman are you? Um, there's three. Right. So there's. The dominating woman, the desolate woman, and then the alluring woman. The alluring woman. Right. Uh, this is essentially uh, Goldilocks and the three <laughs> three bears, but for, you know, women. And this um, is... This I, is... I do not think any listener would be surprised to know that I d- identify most closely with the dominating woman. That's right. Um, also the best woman. Me. I just want to say that. Um. <laughs> I, uh... I, I'm just gonna, yeah, I, I 100% agree. When he, John is trying to describe this dominating woman uh, in, in ways we'll get to, of just like the worst person. And the whole time I was like, this is the only one that's like cool. Like, like this is the, the only one type of woman that knows who they're about, according to John, is dominating. And you know what, John? Let's be honest. I think you do want to be dominated. You'll never <laughs> admit it, but you're spending just a little too much time focused on it. So, yeah, let's get into these John three. John maybe wants to be um, dominated specifically by Brent? Yeah, I was about to say. Uh, yeah, by Brent and by Mel Gibson. Those are the two, <laughs> two people that I think John the, wants I think to the be dream died by. when Brent fell off that cliff. Okay. I, uh, but, and that's why he had to get a new Brent. So, okay, walk us through this. We have John now just going full insanity, being like, women are this way or this way. So what is a dominating woman and how does it happen? Like, what, is, what, what, what makes sorry, this woman Every time you say, woman? what is a dominating woman and how does it happen? I'm just like, well, there's ropes. There's handcuffs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's uh-huh, lubricants. Uh-huh. Safe words, <laughs> ideally. <laughs> Gags of various sizes. <laughs> Um, so that is actually this not what... This book is horny, y'all. <laughs> this book is so horny. This book is real horny. Um, however, they actually identify the dominating woman as spe- like the specific sin. And they sin being like in heavy quotes here, but to use their phrasing, the sin of, of the striving woman. That um, Yes, thank you for pointing that out. That word drove me insane. Striving all the time. That, that it's a woman who is... And they use it as as we've previously discussed at length in many different ways. But anything from like a woman who is striving to live up to the impossible beauty standards established by the patriarchy, to mm-hmm. a woman who is striving to make money to pay the rent, yeah, advance her career in any way, yes, in any way, um, or maybe find any semblance of like work life balance by asking for like equitable division of household labor, um. Yeah, and, and this is compared to a, what what they describe as a woman at rest, yes. uh, which is <laughs> and a woman yeah. at rest is the only kind of woman who has effectively unveiled her beauty. <laughs> yes, yeah. So so basically, I think what they mean or what they're trying to get at by a woman at rest is just a woman who feels confident in her own skin, but it is 
phrased he, very specifically john draws comparison between women and art there's a scene where him and stacy are walking through an art museum and he he like mentions that there's so many more women depicted than men and naked he talks about how like which by the way drove women, me women, yes. insane go 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 to like a, a, a go to the uffizi go to the there's uffizi there's just naked people of all genders yeah go go to any classical any part of the classical period there's a lot of hot naked dudes yeah, it, it's just very funny. The man has never seen a Greek statue, I guess. But like, <laughs> oh, no, yeah, no. his basic point is nobody wants to look at balls. Uh, women at rest are are confident in themselves. They're beautiful. They are the apex of creation. That comes up a lot. That Eve was made after Adam and not the world was not good until Eve was present. And that means that women are the absolute, you know, uh, pinnacle of creation, which again is a thing that is intended to be empowering, but is just fetishizing. And like... That that is the woman that John wants. He wants he wants a woman who lies naked on a couch. And he compa- by comparison, any woman that's trying to do anything is bad for John. Yeah, and right, absolutely. That like a woman who might have to labor mm-hmm. in any capacity is striving, right? So and certainly a woman that was uh, invested in their labor or in <laughs> trying to improve their condition with regard to labor. Yeah, that would be striving, which is not sexy. Everyone knows that. Yeah, and then no, no, of, no one has ever been turned on by by a, a like powerful woman doing things. That's never happened. <laughs> and you know, it's sort of M- is, Michael. Your horniness is showing. <laughs> Listen, man, my wife's six two. <laughs> your wife, your your you know, your wife is like one of those. Uh, you guys have this sort of like one of those uh, Soviet paintings of like women holding up like farm implements. You guys have that kind of relationship. I like it when she bench presses me. I will not apologize for that. <laughs> All right, we can move forward. <laughs> Can't we? <laughs> I also was really struck by it. Like they're making the same argument, but but in a really different way, where they compare this quote unquote striving twenty two year old woman who feels clearly like bad about her body. Like she runs five to 10 miles a day, like wears tons of makeup, like goes mm-hmm. to the salon all the time. Um, and is just like insecure in her appearance. And then her foil in this anecdote is a 75 year old woman who is just like chill and funny and like laughs a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And they set these two people up as like the sort of the antitheses of each other, like the striving woman versus the woman at rest, like completely ignoring the fact that like society disposes of women after about 45 at the absolute oldest. Um, and at that point, you might just give up and like start to enjoy your life. But until then, you better fucking be invested in the patriarchy upheld beauty standard, because otherwise, like you can't really expect to make a living. Yes. I, I think that's a great point that like they they, they absolutely nailed it on the head that like they these two people exist in the same paragraph in opposition to each other, ignoring all of the differences in their <laughs> lives and society and how they treat them. It, it's really ignoring fifty to see. years and probably yeah. substantial amounts of income difference and just who that yeah. person may have and, been. And there is genuine ago. judgment over this person who has chosen to run a race that was not set up for them. Yeah. Like it, it, for John, that is a moral failing that this woman would participate in these things, completely ignoring all of the reasons that we, uh, you know, subject women to these expectations. Anyways, uh, well, let's compare so the, that to the, uh, the dominating woman. Um, they define actually. So they, 
they don't actually really like define her that well. Like they don't offer definitions in any of this in any part of the ever. Yeah. Um, Yeah, All of their examples for the dominating woman were from movies. Like literally every single (laughs) example of the women. We haven't highlighted how much this uh, book fetishizes movies, just like wild at heart. Clearly it's John's whole thing is young and like stories and he doesn't understand young. So all he has to rely on is the idea that if it happened in a movie that is indicative of the human condition, not that that is indicative of like how we make entertainment to feed the needs of capital, but the, the essence of the human condition is most clearly expressed through the stories we tell ourselves. And that means he can quote any movie and that'll be proof that what he's saying is true. So he can literally rely on fictional characters as the example, Examples of the type of woman he's describing. Okay, I want to be clear though. Top Gun. Whenever men are alone, that's exactly what it's like. If women need to know, it's it's one hundred percent a documentary. Amen. Anyway, <laughs> every podcast recording. This this is a direct quote that is a description of the dominating woman. <laughs> Their strength feels more masculine than feminine. Mm. There is nothing mm-hmm. inviting or alluring. Nothing tender or merciful about them. So that is that is how they are defining as sort of as an antithesis what like the what the alluring woman is is somebody who is like tender and merciful and inviting. And anything that is not that is dominating and therefore and they actually say sinful. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't catch that. Of course, of course. Of course, it's a sin for these fucks. Uh, let's compare that to the desolate woman. Uh, which uh, is that, real dark. so... Because essentially... So dark. Essentially, a desolate woman is just a victim of abuse, but because of that abuse, she has retreated into herself and does not feel confident in herself, and that is also a sin. So, yeah, I read the desolate woman as essentially just needy. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's a great great way to phrase it i um they they do reference specifically like women that have been harmed but like yes essentially if you were too emotionally needy then you were desolate and you are too likely to give away uh your essence to whatever man comes along because you just you just want it too much and god knows there has never been a needy man never not none of them on this podcast i'm going to Mm -hmm. say that for sure (laughs) yikes Hey, look, Michael and I are just currently holding each other's, both of each other's hands. It's fine. We're not needy. We have each other. That's right, baby. Forever love. <laughs> you, you, are my, you are my Frodo. Aw. You're definitely <laughs> Sam in this relationship. That's true. Oh, yeah. I'm 100% Sam. <laughs> I don't even know. You know what? Sam has a good life. Sam, know Sam? what that even really means. It's Lord of the Rings. But... I know what it is. <laughs> What'd you say, Michael? Oh, I, I'm just saying, Sam makes it out pretty good in the end. No, I'm not upset about it. Sam does okay. Sam gets married. Sam's a wife guy. Oh, yeah. Sam's yep. a wife guy. Which I respect. Sam gets his his uh, alluring woman in the end. So, yeah. So, either <laughs> either you are a dominating, striving harpy or True. you are... Um, yeah, or, or, or you are just a shrinking violet. But what, Needy pray vortex. tell. Yeah, 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 yeah. And at one point, this book, I forget the exact context, but specifically name checks like, how do I become a woman who's not a feminist Nazi or an emotional whore? Which is just a hell of a term. Just a hell what of a, a term. And this is ostens- The two women. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. Inside you, there are two wolves. <laughs> Both are slutty. I, uh, but what, <laughs> what, pray tell, does John construe as the alluring woman? 
the uh, the pinnacle, the uh, the the middle bowl of porridge, so to speak. So the alluring woman is the one who is soft. That feels like mm-hmm. the most like the word that they come back to again and again is the idea of just like feminine softness. Um, yeah, for 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 a guy who spends a lot of time talking about feminine woman, John clearly likes him thick. He likes him thick. Yes, he does. Um, so the alluring woman is tender, merciful, and just like generally soft. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, soft is a term that gets used, which is another term that's just fucking infuriating because it means nothing, and yet it implies so much. Yeah, and I think, like, it's so interesting because it's a word that I've been hearing a lot lately, and this is this is just anecdotal, and, and maybe we'll want to cut this because I'm just I'm spitballing here. Um, Go for it. But I feel like a lot of, of my, like, cishet male friends in the past year or so have been, like, using softness is a thing that they're striving for Mm, yeah and i think that like to a lot of people it just means like being open that like it it just means sort of like being open to new relationships or new situations or just um, being open to growth right not just like like the calcified sort of caricature of, of masculinity but but in this case i think they're using soft to mean um I mean, just really all the, like, most, like, Victorian definitions of womanhood really, like, boiling down to what is essentially a mothering role. Yeah, I, I, mothering, uh, forgiveness is a big one, and we'll get to, like, how toxic that gets in our next section, but, like, yes, the, the quick to forgive, the gentle, the, like, full of spirit, like, these are all things that, that, get sort of wrapped up in this imprecise term of softness. Uh, it talks a little bit about confidence, the, like feeling comfortable in your own skin. But the fundamental essence of, uh, I think, what John is describing is just what he would call a positive, but what so frequently in practice is just people men walk over. Like people that men can sort of be, you know, he, he says dominating woman, but the reason he's upset with that is because he wants to be the dominator. And so the proper role for a woman, like so what soft really means is I am in control, that the man gets to mm-hmm. be in control. And, and I think that is like the fundamental essence is like, these terms don't have any meaning as long as John's getting what he wants. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that it is in John's personal relationship that can be a very fickle thing. But whatever, whenever John is not getting what he wants, mm-hmm. then his partner is either being dominating or passive uh, or desolate. <laughs> and that, like, ultimately, this is just about knowing your fucking place. I'm just snapping. <laughs> I'm just, she's, she's doing poetry snaps. I'm doing poetry snaps. Yes, that is 100% the whole thing right there. And your dog is crawling and, on and top. My dog is, is just dominating me right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Abby is definitely a dominating woman. She, <laughs> she, she knows what she's about. She strives every day. She, does. she She's on that rise and fetch lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So to bring this home, uh, <laughs> this book that ostensibly claims that women don't need to get married is now going to tell you what you need to do to get married. Yeah. And um, of course, makes it pretty clear that what you are supposed to do is seduce a man. And he's very, very open about like, no, you need to, you need to seduce them. Yeah, and, yeah. The word and, seductive and, is used like a thousand times <laughs> in the in the later chapters of this book. Yeah, yeah. Never at any point, by the way, were men given the idea like if, if we took seductive to mean 
engage romantically with. I don't think that's what John means, but if we put a really charitable spin on it and say that like seduction is, you know, romantic investment is like putting, you know, really like showing and demonstrating care, being flirty, whatever it is, like never are men told to be seductive, never are men told to invest in their romantic relationship. They are told to be a man that will draw women to them, mm -hmm. but to never, in, in fact, they are warned against investing too much in their relationship themselves. That, that like that one of the failings of men for for John is when they become they, they put the pussy on a pedestal like that mm -hmm. is that is a bad thing for John but that is the whole purpose of women for John is to is to build the pedestal that they place their own pussy upon um, and it's <laughs> it's really wait is the pedestal really made of penises like I'm just I'm trying to understand <laughs> where we're uh, going that that's in the next book <laughs> Th these books are only gonna get more horny I feel like uh, <laughs> So yes, the the alluring woman is invested in in seducing her man, and that partially, I think, Kelsey, you identified that this does exist as a critique of purity culture, and and I think it's worth talking about as like not necessarily good in what it posits, but good as a critique. But it's saying like, hey, this whole like don't Courtship. don't kiss, don't invest romantically at all until you are like essentially already engaged. Like this is bad. We shouldn't do this to our women and our men to convince them that any sort of romantic feeling uh, prior to your wedding day is dangerous and you need to be scared of. Like this is very clearly calling out the I kiss dating goodbye purity culture um, that was so prevalent in churches of this time and still today. And I think it is interesting they don't have anything to offer except the same shit, but like more lustily, but they are genuinely critiquing purity culture by name in this book. Yeah. I mean, they're still also like making it somehow about Jesus, which I feel like is a really problematic read of books like song of songs, um, where they're yeah. like, you know, like listing all the horniest parts of the Bible <laughs> and then being like, this is how, ladies, this is how Jesus feels about you. No, she she says God is my lover. Like she she is very explicit. She has a moment where she talks about how she's like walking through a wood praying and and thanking God for the stars. And God says, "You're welcome, darling." And she she like gets flushed and embarrassed because God is referring to her in this romantic, casual tone. Because of course she literally hears God's voice and He literally called her darling. That's all just none of that is up for question. Like. The only thing that's up for question is that God would be so forward. I just want Christian ladies to stop being horny for God. I've said this about nuns. Yeah. I'm saying this about Stacy. Stop trying to marry Jesus. Jesus had the people in his life he needed. Twelve other guys. All right? That's what <laughs> that's what men need. Twelve other men in their lives and nothing else. Twelve other men to share life and their strength with. Yeah. Come on. To All bestow right? masculinity upon as Wild at Heart, so memorably put. Stop it. trying to make this dirty. This is about 13 yeah. men who live together and share life. Yeah. I, uh, but yeah, so what are the other, I honestly struggling to remember because it is both vague and horny at the same time, but like, is there any <laughs> other essence of the alluring woman? Like, basically, all I got is like unbutton a button and like smile oh, yeah. a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, so, so, like, there is a whole chapter on how, like, women, if you're partnered with someone who is problematic, whether that means, like, emotionally, and by, by person, I mean, like, a dude, right? Because all of this, of course, is in the context of cishet relationships between men and women. But, like, okay, yeah. cishet women, if you are with a cishet dude who is emotionally unavailable or abusive, whether that's verbally or physically, here are the various ways that you can, like, manipulate him in the name of being alluring to get him, like, back on your side. Yeah, they 
this was one of the craziest and most frustrating parts up there with chapter five in terms of like women are you in an emotionally abusive relationship seduce your man back to not screaming at you like yep and and this is quite like he keeps calling it seduction even though what he's actually describing is like a certain amount of boundaries. Like one of the women moves out of her abusive home and is basically like, if you want to be in my life at all, you're going to need to change these things. But like that also gets called seduction. But then he, the next example is an emotionally abused woman who is literally just like nice and, and quite literally the answer to an abusive relationship for these people is to like nice your partner back into not hitting you. And that is, it's really interesting that this exists in part as a critique of purity culture because that is the essence of purity culture. Like that is mm-hmm. that is so toxic. And yeah. it, advice that has been given to women in the church time and time again is like you just need to love your husband well enough that he puts his fists away. And I can't think of anything more evil than to make the victim of abuse responsible for ending the behavior of the abuser. I I. It's amazing that men are both, like, perfect and strong, but also, like, essentially idiots. Yeah, and again, <laughs> somewhere in there, she, uh, they both call, once again, that women need to forgive their abusers and, and, and the people that have wronged them. And they, they posit this as, like, you need to forgive them so you don't carry bitterness in your heart. But that is such a common mistake that I don't fault just them for that. But, like, hey, you don't have to be carrying bitterness in your heart in order to not forgive somebody like you can you can move forward as a person for your own health and sanity and still say no i do not fucking forgive you for the shit that you did to me like equating bitterness and forgiveness is like well either you are full of bitterness or you have forgiven this person and and unstated here is forgive for all of the corollary things that go along with forgiveness in Christian culture of like continuing to keep this person in your life or welcoming them in, into positions of power, the lack of accountability that forgiveness in Christian culture so often That's means. Right. Like they never once call for accountability of these men. They will name what they are doing is wrong, but they will never stand and say these men need to be held accountable for their crimes, but they will tell women that they need to forgive them for their own good. Yeah. And just, you know, fuck off with that shit. <laughs> yeah. It's extremely dark. Uh, I think it's a book fundamentally. What's you say? Um, it's a book fundamentally about reifying power structures. Like that's a really yeah. boring thing to say on some level, but it really is a book about how like men are. No matter what happens, men should be above women. Women should be there. And, like, that's the role. Like, they want to name it as beauty. They want to name it as adventure. But it really is this simple. Men are where they belong. And women are where they belong. And anything to disrupt that just needs some Jesus juice. Yep, just, just needs a little sprinkle of Jesus to make it good again. Like, it will acknowledge the way that this structure harms people, but only because of the, like, the structure isn't being done well enough. And uh, I heard that time and time again with complementarianism growing up, which this book absolutely is. It's just that, like, yes, it can be done badly, but this is still God's God's vision for what a marriage is supposed to look like. The man is still supposed to be the head of the household. He just needs to do it better. Meanwhile, women are dying uh, spiritually, emotionally and and literally. And and complementarians will never care. 
and and this is not just me talking out of my ass statistically speaking people that believe in this like idea that men and women have different roles in a relationship uh which is always about male supremacy in a relationship uh like they statistically correlate with higher patterns of abuse because of fucking course it does because that's an abusive fucking belief like yeah. that on its own is an abusive thing to believe uh to be true in your relationship and and so of course it correlates to other forms of abuse but for for john and stacy this is just little tweaks needed to make uh god's will perfect yeah is there anything else we want to say here or can i like talk for two seconds about the amount of discussion of single women in this book yeah i think yeah absolutely talk about that i do want to get a little bit more specifically we've talked about john praying over uh stacy but i i just want to hit the like mental illness uh stuff but that can be like our last thing uh unless you guys have more to say kelsey um so I also want to name what they say about women in relationship to other women. Mm, yeah, good point. That comes up pretty frequently. Um, so I think this is Stacy who says, For many centuries, women lived in close fellowship with other women, gathering at the well, down at the river, preparing meals. Many occasions for femininity to just sort of naturally pass from older women to younger women. So, like, the last clause just made me throw up. But <laughs> the idea that, like, women until very recently have been in relationship to other women for things that are very concrete material goods, like grandmothers caring for their grandchildren. And, I mean, I would say, of course, we, like, really ought to, like, widen the aperture here and look at, like, grandfathers also caring for their grandchildren. But, like... The idea that women had community until very recently, whether that was, you know, preparing meals together, drawing water together, um, as members of the junior league, what have you. Like, women are exceptionally isolated right now in a way that is essentially ahistorical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Stacy and John want to make that about like not having a way to sort of transmit these very toxic ideas about what it means to be a woman. But like, it could also just mean a breakdown in women's ability to communicate about like how to survive, whether that means like talking to each other about like how to survive being in a household with an abusive husband or women talking to each other about how to negotiate for a higher starting salary or women talking about like best childcare practices like just in general women feel and this is a refrain throughout the book that women feel like they are completely abandoned mm -hmm. not just by men but by other women and john and stacy make that about the devil rather mm -hmm. than about patriarchy and capitalism but the idea that like women truly are abandoned like we are on our own Everything from, like, the structures of women having to negotiate over the phone or in person for a higher starting salary, rather than just, like, doing it over email where you can take your time and, like, confer with your women friends. Um, women not knowing who to go to for advice on, like, what to do if you're having trouble with breastfeeding. Like, women mm. are truly, like, ripped out of, and this is, I think, also very true of men. Um, mm -hmm. That, like, we can just say, like, people are isolated. I think the effects are worse for women, um, but everybody is isolated and everyone is suffering from loneliness. And that is not the fault of the devil. Like, that is very clearly an intentional effect of capitalism and patriarchy. 
Amen. Yeah. No. No. That. I wish I had something to even add to that, but so true. This book would know a material condition if it smacked it in the face. Like it is, it is so (laughs) ideologically opposed to the acknowledgement of Mm -hmm. anyone's material condition. Yeah, of course. That like it could, it could never begin to understand, but it is extremely toxic to sum that up by blaming it on the devil. Uh, Zach, talk about, talk to me about single ladies. Well, there's sort of two very brief things that would like that are tied into, it's really one thing, two, two sides to it. Uh, there's about, so this book finally has a chapter called like, or like a chapter like called like single women. And I was like, oh boy. Stra- it's actually just one tiny segment of one chapter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not a whole yeah, chapter. Yeah. It's a section. And you guys. <laughs> uh, and I do mean that gendered. And anyway, it's like four pages long. And I was like, all right, let's strap in. Fuck yeah. What do you have to say about single women? Turns out nothing. It's amazing. Nothing. It's like four pages of like, so single women. And it entirely is about women who are not yet married. It never even acknowledges that like women might be widowed, that they might choose not to get married, let alone gay shit. It is just full on like before you get married, here's oh, man. what. Yep, here's what you got to yep. do. And that is the sum total of their discussion of single women. Yes, if you are a single woman, you need to, like, amp up your alluring game mm-hmm. to attract yep. a dude. Yep. Yeah, you, you, you better start unveiling a little bit of that beauty. Uh, yeah, women exist in a state of marriage or pre-marriage. That is, yep. that is the exclude. <laughs> That is the only vision of womanhood that these people are willing to acknowledge, despite the fact that they they claim repeatedly that you can be a single woman. They never have any vision for what that would look like, and right. it's, it's really upsetting that like yeah they can pay On lip the- service to these things and give themselves a dodge, but they so clearly will never actually think it's it's what anyone should do. On the other hand, if they had if they wrote about single women, it would have been terrible. The closest they get yeah, is they again, t- not unlike our gender, gender queer, gender fluid, bi- uh, trans friends. Like I'm just so glad they didn't even think. <laughs> the uh, the closest they get is when they talk about motherhood because they basically assume mm. all women are mothers and they but they 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 do kind of new nu- nuance and very have quotation marks that when they say all women are not mothers but all women are called to mother. To mothers to Ooh. nurture, to train, to educate, to rear. And, uh, Kelsey, what do you think about that? <laughs> so I actually think this is, like, incredibly closely related to what I just talked about, about women mm-hmm. who are isolated. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean, like, many, many women, first of all, are not called to mother or parent in any way. I would consider myself, so I, I am so delighted to be child free by choice for the rest of my life. Um, like no part of me really wants anything to do with children at all. I'm a college professor because I do not like children and I much prefer dealing with adults. Um, but also like lots and lots of women feel isolated in their role as parents. And the idea that like we should reduce all women to being sort of either like mothers or like, sidekicks to mothers Mm -hmm. um like that's what they're saying rather than being like you know what it takes a village which is a cliche and i do hate cliches but at the same time like when i read that section about you know the role of parenting being essentially feminine like that was very upsetting to me because i know so many cishet men who are exceptional parents like starting with my own father loves kids (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my dad was a middle school teacher for 35 years. 
at the same school. And mm-hmm. like then just became the guy who would like hang around while choir practice was going on at church to like corral the toddlers and like give them superhero rides through the air. Like this is a man who just loves children and is an exceptionally yeah. good parent. And I've known so many cishet dudes like that, like not to mention every other like permutation of every gender who could be an exceptional parent. But the idea that like women are alone in parenting is reified over and over in this book. And like really what they're trying to say is that parenting alone is really hard. Men are often emotionally unavailable to their children, especially in the context of like cishet relationships. And women need some allies in the role of parenting and like my argument is that everyone can parent um there i go to a church that's like it's like probably the the queerest church in the town where i live can, can i say something about your church yeah i mean kindly it's gayer than most gay bars i've been to yeah i go to Ew. a really gay church like nice. <laughs> like it is like there's there's some gay dudes who've been like all right you guys got to tone this down this is like, <laughs> like yeah there's so, entirely too much glitter in the communion line you know what? There was actually, and this is for real, for real. Um, I went to an Ash Wednesday service, and there was glitter in the ashes, <laughs> and I thought it was so beautiful. I wept. Um, anyway, like there's glitter Extremely everywhere. Cool yeah. This is a really gay church, is all what I'm trying to say. And there is like every permutation of relationship between mm-hmm. like every gender identity mm-hmm. you can possibly imagine. <laughs> and like, there's also quite a few babies at this church. Yeah, and these babies just crawl around during the service anyway so there's just like some like at church with like all of these queer folks and just babies crawling everywhere and everyone just pitches in to like corral the babies and keep them from bonking their heads into the chairs (laughs) and then the pastor stands up at the end and like holds a baby or two and gives the benediction and this is pretty standard pretty much every week and i would say that this is like the most beautiful vision of parenting i've ever encountered me not doing it Right. No, I'm not really doing very much because I'm not oriented towards parenthood. Um, no, it's really lovely. But but the idea that, like, a community of people can raise children better together than, like, any single woman by herself ever could is really important. And, of course, once again, John and Stacy a little bit, but mostly John, um, come away with, like, the completely wrong thing, which is that, like, motherhood is essential to the experience of being a woman. It's not like parenthood mm-hmm. across genders. It's like specifically women who are not fulfilling their spiritual destiny if they don't mother someone, if they don't act as a mom or some kind of like second string parent to some child who may or may not be in their life. Yeah, the idea that that is exclusively a trait of women is is really upsetting. And also, I just... John, I, I read your other book. I remember all the shit you were talking about how important it was to like bestow masculinity on your children. It's good to know that you didn't actually mean parenting them. It's good to know that that wasn't actually a part of your vision. Like, cool. Good no, way no, to go, John. No, she meant wrestling them very clearly, even if that meant drawing blood. Yeah, yeah. Saying cool wound when your child is sobbing. Like, like it's just, oh, it's so fucking toxic. All right, we got to bring this home. Um, let's spend two minutes talking about how Satan makes you dizzy yep. and uh, and call it a day. Because this came up in Wild at Heart 2 that Stacy had encountered dizzy spells her basically her entire life for decades. 
and through a series of extremely strange stories about other forms of what she identifies as spiritual warfare, she uh, John comes to the conclusion that these dizzy spells must be caused by a demon. And so he begins ordering her to pray away her dizziness, and she does, and they make a big point about the fact that it gets worse and then it gets better, and that she has essentially cured this medical condition through prayer. And it's a weird thing because this comes right after she acknowledges, and in a way, I did not think she... They hinted at this in Wild at Heart, and I thought they were going with a, like, we don't believe in antidepressants way. But she actually makes an argument strongly for antidepressants, which I, I will say, like, give them credit for, saying, like, hey, there are chemical imbalances in your brain, and these things can be very helpful, and we should, as Christians, not ignore that. Which sounds like the most basic fucking shit, but as we've seen in the Christian counseling world, that is extremely out of step with what Christian counselors generally have to say about mental illness. But then they immediately pivot from that to, but that wasn't enough. We needed to get rid of the demons. And then they have another example of their relationship where they're both feeling unheard and uncared for. And like the other person is upset with them. And when they come together and realize the other person wasn't upset and that they've both been feeling the same thing, they don't think, wow, we are absolutely dog shit at communication. We should work on meeting each other's emotional needs more. They think there is a demon in this room that we must pray against right now. So that's what that they do. Just, that's how they that solve their, their communication error. That was just their third, their unicorn. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of fucked up the way they treated them. Yeah, not great, not great. You shouldn't pray your unicorn away. That's not nice. <laughs> I just, I, um, you know, the thing that I kept thinking about over and over again is the way that, like, Stacy's sort of history with mental illness, and she mentions, like, that her father is diagnosed bipolar, and these things just mm-hmm. are very clearly hereditary Um, And I say that as someone with a lot of mental illness in my family and in my history Mm -hmm. and something that is not spoken about because it's just still so taboo in the year of our Lord 2022. Um, But the (sighs) idea that like this is all just Satan and like you will be set if you have a man to fight for you. Like that the role of a man, like, you know, we know from Wild at Heart that men need a battle to fight. And that is in conjunction with with, um, beauty to unveil. And like... If you are a woman who has any kind of history of mental illness and no man to, like, fight for you to pray away the demons of mental illness, you are shit out of luck. And, like, God forbid you might be a dude or some other gender who deals with mental health issues and doesn't have a partner, specifically a dude, to pray that away, like, that you are just shit out of luck, is one of the most toxic things I could imagine saying in any context. Yeah, these are people who have made their career counseling men and women, and it's extremely, extremely scary that they have now spent decades peddling these beliefs to vulnerable people who needed help. Um, you don't you don't end up going to John and Stacey Eldridge if there are not real issues that need to be dealt with, and all they have to give you is this Frank Peretti shit. Uh, and it's it's extremely <laughs> upsetting. I as As a kid who grew up reading Frank Peretti books and having these, like, Like, my church was not big into the spiritual warfare thing, but it was sort of around the margins. Like, it's a very weird and damaging thing to induce into the mind of a young person that there are, like, angels and demons fighting above your head at all times. It's an extremely odd belief to have to carry with you. And to you end up uh, kind of like... In jobs that I've worked, I've been behind a cash register and on a number of occasions had somebody where I hand them their change and they go, of course, there's a six in my change because I see sixes everywhere because like this, this fall, 
false positive of like believing something that doesn't exist but you see reified everywhere because you have accepted it as true is not just toxic to mental illness but just an extremely dark way to live your life and uh it, it's very upsetting to me that, that these people like are peddling that to, to tens of thousands of, of young people at this point as a solution to their problem to believe that there's the spiritual warfare that they should be actively engaged in all around their heads. Like that is just not a healthy way to encounter our world. No, I, I wonder how prevalent it is anymore, but it's definitely this like, it still speaks to something that I think is universal. Wherein you know, it's it's QAnon now. You know, it doesn't matter what it, the problems can't be capitalism. They can't be the patriarchy. They can't be individual men hurting women. They have to be the demons. They have to be uh, the the black hats. Um, they have to be you know whatever the case may be. And and it's kind of maddening the way we keep reinventing bad guys. Everything is a Marvel movie, or in this case, Lord of the Rings and Braveheart. Uh, so yeah, unless we have more to say, that has been captivating. I hope that you, dear listener, were in fact captivated. And um, yeah, I I think that this is a really fascinating book um, because so much of it was clearly informed by Stacy's trauma, and then sort of molded by John's insanity into the document that we have before us. And I, I feel and great John's empathy. incredible commercial success with Wild at Heart. Let's not forget that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an excellent point. That John never intended for this book to be written. John doesn't give a shit about women, despite all of his claims. Like John, so clearly could not give a fuck about women. But hey, when there's a dollar to be made, yeah, and he says that he's like, I really didn't want to write this book because it would mean like getting closer to my wife. Oh yeah, that was wild. I man, I'm so glad you brought that up. He specifically says like, I didn't want to have to encounter like women's thoughts this i john have a confession to make i didn't want to co-author this book oh i thought i ought to be it ought to be written it needed to be written i just didn't want to be the one to do it i knew it would require me to enter into the world of women and into my woman's world in a far deeper way than daily life required of me to do any sort of justice to a book for women would require me to go deeper listen even more carefully Study, delve into the mystery, okay, bloody mess of a woman's soul. Oof. Good lord. Yep, that, that about sums up John in this book. Like, John, John is just yeah. in full on, that is, that is John's mode throughout all of this. And I think that Pure sums villainy. it up really nicely. Yeah. Uh, John is terrified of women. Uh, he does not want to hear their thoughts. And, and, but he does want to tell them all the ways in which they can fail. This whole book is basically saying, like, there is no right way to be a woman. It's why we will never have a woman president. Like, there's no right way to be a woman politician because there's no right way to be a woman. Like, you're either too much or not enough or probably both of those things at once, which they say in this book. Like, you're, you're too much and not enough. And instead yeah. of effectively, like, identifying the issues as patriarchy and capitalism, instead they make it about the devil and, like, maybe a few bad apples. Yeah, this is essentially not all cops, but for men. Yeah. And yeah. in, in a Yeah. Go ahead, Zach. No, no, no I was just gonna say, which uh that evangelical argument has been uh pretty potent and we've seen that before, and we'll talk about it again, I'm sure. But it's it's wild. It is a wild to read a book kind of torn between Stacy kind of 
toxically but somewhat genuinely struggling with these issues and john coming in to be like yo but here's the actual skinny and it's just pure misogyny like uncut colombian marching powder misogyny yeah 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 the kind of shit you can't get anymore like (laughs) (laughs) oh my god. well stated well i think it's time to bring this home y'all uh my name is michael Tabor. you can find me at michael Tabor uh i'm zachary allard you can find me at zachary underscore allard and i'm kelsey lair at kelsey lair uh thank you guys so much for bearing through all of that we'll see you next time